All right, this is part two of our devices series, revealing and defeating the subtle strategies of Satan. Father, I pray that you would speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. Give us ears to hear, hearts to understand and to believe. We ask this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we believe you to do it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Give it up for the worship team today. Thank you. This morning, I'm going to preach a sermon, the subject of, of which I have not ever preached in 20 years. It dawned on me that I never in the last 20 years ever preached a sermon about false teachers. And I was reflecting upon why I never talked about false teachers. I never even really said much about false doctrine. Because at the heart of my philosophy of ministry is that if you simply give people the truth, you don't have to tell them what the false is. When I worked at the bank, when I was a college student, I worked at a bank, they never showed us a single counterfeit bill or a single counterfeit coin. But I remember one day somebody was depositing coins and he was throwing a bunch of coins, like just a grip of coins down into the, that little slot there, the little metal slot, and something clanked. And I heard the sound of that clank yeah. and I started reaching through there. Something is not right. Yeah. Something, that, that clank, that's not our currency. And I found these coins that were not our, they were from a different country. Yeah. I said, take these back. We can't deposit these. It's not... It's not the real. We had so much contact with the real that when we came into contact with the false, we were able to recognize it immediately. However, we're living in a day and age in which one of the primary weapons of the enemy and one of the primary devices of the enemy is false teaching. And false teaching comes to us through false teachers or what we call false prophets. Now we are going to take a few minutes to define what a false teacher is. First, what a false teaching is, and then what a false teacher is. And what are the marks of the false teacher or the false prophet? And what does the New Testament say about it? But what I'm more interested in in this sermon is why there is a market for false teaching at all. Because some of the biggest consumers of false teaching are Christians. And so what I'm more interested in is why there is a market for false teaching. Now first, um, Matthew chapter 7 verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So Jesus says false teachers are hard to identify because they look like an actual brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. They look real. They appear to be legit. But inside, if you could see inside, they are ravenous wolves. They're wolves in sheep's clothing, Jesus says. And then in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Peter says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, yeah. 
who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction, verse 2, and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed, verse 3, by covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Moving on to 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. And by spirit... He's referring to the spirit that inspires a teaching. If I teach you the truth, that teaching was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But if I teach you a lie, the truth was inspired by a demonic spirit. So when you hear a teaching, you must understand that that teaching has been inspired by a spirit. But you need to make a decision not to believe every spirit. But test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, I'm going to give you four marks of a false prophet, and I've I've got some notes here. I typically don't use notes, but I'm going to use them to keep myself on track because I know the service has already gone on longer than you're used to, and I don't want to preach for an hour. Is that okay? Good, I'll preach for two hours. Now, just playing, just playing. playing. Four marks of a false teacher or a false prophet. Number one, by the way, not all false teachers or false prophets have all four marks. But even one is enough to make you a false teacher or a false prophet. And if you see multiple of them, run for your life. (laughs) Number one, they distort and or deny the core teachings of scripture. They distort and or deny the core teachings of scripture. Now understand, when I say that they distort or deny the core teachings of scripture, there's two types of false doctrine. Heterodoxy and heresy. The word heresy is thrown around a lot. Not all false doctrine is heresy. But all heresy is false doctrine. Heterodoxy simply means something that is theologically and biblically incorrect. Heresy is theologically and biblically incorrect, plus if you believe it, you're not a Christian. In other words, heresy is damnable. So next time you hear somebody throw out, that's heresy, ask yourself, do you go to hell for believing that? If the answer is no, then it's not heresy. It might be heterodoxy, but it's not heresy. So false teachers teach heresy, and then they teach heterodoxy as well, but they use heterodoxy to lead you towards the heresy that they actually want you to believe at the end of the day, okay? So people, we disagree, you know, there's a lot of disagreement in the body of Christ. You know, some people say the gift of tongues and the gifts of the spirit are for today, and other people say it's not for today. And then I hear people who believe it's not for today. They say, those who believe it's for today are guilty of heresy. And then I hear people who believe that they are for today saying, those people are guilty of heresy. No, neither one is guilty of heresy. You're not going to heaven or hell based on what you believe about tongues. Now, one of us is guilty of heterodoxy. One of us. 
When we get to heaven, the Lord will tell us which one. Does that make sense? There's oneness Pentecostalism. You know what oneness Pentecostalism is? The apostolics, the United Pentecostals, they don't believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They believe Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one being, one person. We believe, Trinitarians believe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one God revealed in three persons. Right? There's apostolics and there's United Pentecostals. United Pentecostals look at us and say, you're heretics because you believe in three gods. Trinitarians look at apostolics and say, you're heretics because you've got a, a schizophrenic God who sometimes thinks he's the father and other times thinks he's the son. Can I say to you that I don't believe either one is heresy? The oneness individuals are getting at something in scripture that us Trinitarians can't explain. And Trinitarians are getting something at scripture that the, the, the oneness individuals can't explain. When we get to heaven, God's going to get his oneness people together and his Trinitarian people together and tell us which one is right. Yeah. One of us is engaged in heterodoxy, yeah. but not heresy. You don't go to hell because of what you believe about the Trinity. Yeah. If so, most of us would go to hell. Because even if you believe in the Trinity, 99% of us can't actually explain it. And the 1% of us who think we can are wrong. So we keep throwing out this word heresy. If you believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers, now that's a heresy. If you believe that when you die, you get to go to your own planet, become their Jesus, die on the cross for their sins and arose from the dead, that's a heresy. Or if like... The Jehovah's Witnesses said, they take John 1 where it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. They changed that to little g God and they put the, uh, the word a and the word was a God. They saw Jesus as a God, not God, not the son of God, not God, truly God, not of the same essence of the father. That's a heresy. Yeah. Meaning you've taken away the divine nature of Jesus. That is a heresy. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But so much of the, the, the backbiting, I'm not talking about, they just believe some different stuff. They teach heresy. And if you believe that you're saved by your own works and not by the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, that my friends is a heresy. You understand what I'm saying? So number one, they distort the core teachings of scripture. Number two, they exhibit greed and exploit God's people for money. They exhibit greed and they exploit God's people for money. They will find ways to get you to give them a personal offering. Do I believe it's wrong to give a personal offering to a man or woman of God? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, it's very biblical. But they will take that biblical precedent and milk it for all it's worth to get as much money out of you as possible for themselves. Not for the building fund, for themselves. So if you hear heresy and greed, danger, Will Robinson. Number three, they teach immorality. The prophet Jeremiah would say they teach rebellion against the Lord. And how do they do that? They justify immoral behavior. They'll tell you that immoral behavior is okay. And in doing so, they will encourage the people of God to participate in immoral behavior. And they'll tell you it's okay. And then lastly, they're focused on their own authority 
over people's lives. So they take an inordinate amount of personal authority over people's lives. They think that the Bible gives them the right to control you, to tell you who you can marry or who you can't marry or when you can marry, where you should live or which job you should take or which job you should not take. Okay? So those are the marks of the false teacher. Now let's go to the second Timothy passage. Now that's enough talking about false teachers. As I said before, I hesitate to talk about false teachers because there is a group of individuals in the body of Christ for whom everyone's a false teacher unless you believe what John MacArthur believes or, you know, what some like R.C. Sproul or it's like a very narrowly defined. If you're not exactly this, you're a false teacher. And I don't fall into that. I don't believe that. There's a lot of folks that are being false te- called false teachers that I believe are not false teachers. Yeah. But there are others who are, who are being touted and hailed as some of the greatest teachers in the body of Christ. And inside, I'm just, my mind is blown like he teaches rebellion against the Lord. And you follow him? Like, how can you follow that? It just blows my mind sometimes when I see it. Yeah. Now, I told you that what I'm interested in in this sermon yeah. is not false teachers but why there is a market for false teaching. Because false teachers owe their existence to the fact that there is a market for them. Meaning people want them. And if people didn't want what they were peddling, they would have nothing to peddle. They would either have to preach the truth or get out of the way. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 explains to us why there is a market for false teaching, meaning why this device of Satan is so prominent today and so powerful. Let's read the verse. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Put verse 3 up there again. and just We're going to leave it up there for a minute. The time will come, Paul is telling Timothy, when people will not tolerate, they will not endure. The NKJV says they will not put up with sound doctrine. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. That, That... word in the Greek, put up or to endure, literally means to tolerate. You ever had to take a medicine that tasted really bad? Three of you? (laughs) I mean, a medicine, it was a horrible experience to take it. But you had to take it because it was the only way you were going to get better. You ever had to get a shot? You ever had to get a shot? In an unmentionable place? You ever had to have a medical procedure that was invasive? And you actually do have a choice. You can say no to that life-saving operation. You can say no to that life-saving medicine because it's a terrible experience. But you endure it, you tolerate it, you put up with it. Why? Because you know that there's a promise of life on the other side of it. 
You walk into the experience saying, if I just endure this, I can live longer. If I just endure this, I can live better. But have you ever seen somebody who simply would not put up with, tolerate, or endure necessary medicine? Have you ever known anybody who died an early death because they wouldn't put up with, they wouldn't tolerate, they wouldn't endure life-saving medicine? Their life could have been saved had they just been willing to endure life-saving medicine. Paul says sound doctrine is life-saving medicine, but the days will come when people will no longer endure it. No longer put up with it. No longer tolerate doctrine that doesn't taste good, that doesn't sound good, that doesn't immediately agree with what they believe or feel or think on the inside of them. If it doesn't agree with me, the moment I hear it, I'm out. Ain't nobody got time for that. Paul is saying the day is coming when people will not put up with it. They will not endure it. And guess what? The time has come sound doctrine people will not endure sound sound doctrine the word in the greek literally means healthy or correct healthy doctrine or correct doctrine i like the word sound though because if you have a boat dr carrington used to have a boat he used to take us out on the fourth of july what oh i thought you said i still do i was about to say what you got it back When a vessel is sound, it means that it won't take on water. When a vessel is sound, it means that a storm will not cause it to take on water and sink. But when a vessel is unsound, it means that it takes on water and all it takes is a small storm to sink that vessel. Paul says men will not put up with sound doctrine. He says, let me tell you why sound doctrine is important because if you don't tolerate sound doctrine, then what you believe is unsound. And if it's unsound, your faith is going to sink as soon as you hit the next storm. Sound doctrine might not taste good in the beginning. Sometimes it hits you right in the gut. Sometimes it's like a a dagger that goes right between your ribs. It confronts you with the fact that you've been living a lie. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That's not what he wanted to hear from the resurrected Lord Jesus. Saul, Saul, you're wrong. The way you've been living your life is wrong. That's not what he wanted to hear. The first words out of the mouth of of the resurrected Jesus. Sound doctrine cuts before it heals. Sound doctrine puts to death before it makes alive. Sound doctrine contradicts before it affirms. But we don't stick around long enough for the healing. As soon as we get cut, we're out. We don't stick around long enough for the resurrection. It puts me to death and I leave dead. And then I lived dead for the rest of my life because I didn't stick around long enough for it to raise me back to life and teach me how to live a sound life. Give me a sound faith that won't take on water. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The word doctrine sounds like a fancy theological term. It's actually simple. It just means teaching or instruction. 
They will not endure sound teaching or sound instruction. They will not endure correct teaching or correct instruction. They'll be offended by it. And they will believe, which many believe in our culture, that they have a right not to be offended. I'm going to leave that one alone because that one will get me in trouble on both sides of the aisle. But according to their own desires, I'm going to read that phrase to you in the Greek because it's important. According to their own desires, katatas idias epithumias, katatas idias epithumias, kata means according to, tas idias means your own, that which is personal to you, and epithumias is desires or longings. According to their own longings, which by the way, the word idios is actually the feminine plural accusative form of idios, which is the root of the English word idiot. <laughs> Literally, according to their idiot desires. The title of this sermon is Culture of Idiots. Because that's what we're living in right now. Stay with me. Because they have itching ears. You ever get an itch deep in your... <laughs> that's just, isn't that just like the, the, the most frustrating thing when you got an itch? and that, You just need to find a Q-tip. Or if, you, if, if when I was desperate, I remember being in grade school, I would just use a pencil. Just be drawn all inside of my ear. That's all I had. You know what works really well? A chopstick. A metal chopstick. Just go right on in there. But what's safer is, what's safer is a Q-tip. You just get a Q-tip, you know. Just go in there and ooh, clean that out. You got an itching. What, what, what do you need when you have an ear itch? You need it scratched. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers who will say whatever their itching ears want to hear, another translation says. Meaning, they don't go to church to hear the truth. They go because they got an ear itch and they're looking for a teacher to scratch that particular itch. Meaning they got something that they want to hear, something that they need to hear, something that they want for themselves, their own longings, their idiot desires, and they're just looking for a teacher who will scratch their idiot itch. And the way you know it is because as soon as a preacher doesn't scratch their itch, they leave the church. The Lord is moving me on. The Lord says that my time here is done because I'm not being fed my ears are not being itched. You're not scratching the itch that I have. You're not preaching on what I want to hear preached. And instead of confronting the people that I want to hear confronted, instead of calling out the sinners out there that I want you to call out, you're calling me out? 
You talk about my sin? No, I come to church to hear you talk about their sins. I'll come to church to hear you talk about the gays. I come to church to hear you talk about the white Republicans. I come to church to hear you talk about BLM. I want to know where you stand on these issues, pastor. Because I want to know if I can stick around in this church or not. In other words, I want to know if you're going to itch that particular itch in my ear or not. And you are living by your idiot desires. Just heaping up for yourselves. And you don't get it at church, so you go home and heap up to yourself. Teachers who will say whatever your itching ears want to see. How do you do it? Just go on YouTube. And you can heap up to yourself as many of them as you want. Ah, this one. Ah, that, that's the itch. That's the place. Ah, I'm going to follow this guy. Ooh, this one. You don't care that he teaches immorality? That he exploits people for money? That he distorts the core teachings of scripture? But politically, he's where you stand, so I'm going to listen to him. Culture of idiots. This is why false teaching exists. The immorality part, I need to, I need to pause there for a moment. Can I say that men of God are human too? They can fall, they can make mistakes, and when they do, they need grace. Do we agree on that? But here's the litmus test. If a man of God, and I want you to hold me to the standard as well. If a man or woman of God falls into gross immorality and does not repent of it, but instead gets up to justify it in front of the people, that's the mark of a false teacher. Secondly, other teachers, if they get up and justify what that person did, That's another mark of a false teacher. Because they not only participate in immorality, but instead of repenting of it, they justify it. And when they justify it for themselves, they also justify it for the body. I I once heard one of the one of the most terrible things I heard was a couple got a divorce. They're very prominent teachers, pastors in the body of Christ, very prominent. And they had a very public divorce. Now, getting a divorce is not the unpardonable sin, but it's not good either, right? It's unbiblical, but it happens, okay? Let's be realistic. It happens. So I'm not of the ilk that says, you know, throw them out there, you know, but she got up and said, listen to this. You know, when we got married, we thought that it was God's will for our relationship to last the rest of our lives. But now we realize that that was just a season. That it was only God's will for us to be married for a season. You see, some things that you think are permanent are just for a season. And turned it into a whole sermon about seasons. Which completely overturns the clear scriptural precedent. You know what the right response is? You know what? I failed in my marriage. There's no justifying it. I'm repenting before God and going into a time of submission to my leader so that I can be restored. Yeah. 
Why? Because how many other people out in the body heard her say that and thought, you know what? I think the season of my marriage is up. I never did like my wife. (laughs) All right, I'm going to move on from there. False teaching owes its existence to this reality that our world is filled with people who are committed to nothing other than their own desires, their own longings, their own values, and their own perspectives. This is what makes false teaching possible. Remember, we talked about Eve last Sunday. And we talked about how the enemy's device that he used against her was deception. But we asked, why did he come to Eve and not Adam? Because in Eve's heart, there was already a little confusion mixed with curiosity. The confusion came from, I want to eat from this tree, but my husband says, God says, don't eat from the tree. I wonder if my husband's right. I wonder if God really said that. If the question wasn't already in her heart, if there wasn't already a lingering skepticism in her heart, then Satan couldn't have used that device against her. Remember what James says. He says it in James 1 14, I believe it is. It might be verse 12. He says, everyone is tempted when he is led astray by his own desires. Meaning the desire for rebellion is already on the inside of you. That's what false teaching does. It puts its finger on your own desire or your own vice. Because Satan's devices correspond to your vices. And if you and I had no vices, he would have no devices that work on us. And so God is calling each one of us to take personal inventory today. At the end of the day, this message is not about false teachers. It's about why you are susceptible to them. It's not about deception. It's about why you can be deceived. I remember when I hit adolescence, this necessary part of growing up transpired. Or I got to question mom's authority. Not dad's authority. You don't question dad's authority. (laughs) (laughs) but I I would push the boundaries with mom. And I remember she would tell me, don't do that. And I would say, but why? Because I said, don't do that. I said, but why? And I I remember thinking in my heart, it's not right that she doesn't tell me why. (laughs) And I remember at a certain point thinking, I am not obligated to obey If I don't understand why, I only had that thought once. She laid hands on me afterwards. I got healed. It took years of maturity to look back on those situations and say, my mother had wisdom that I did not have. That was why. 
because she saw what I could not see. She understood what my adolescent mind could not understand at the time. So when she said no, she was protecting me from something that I could not see. I think, you know, it's, it's very, very common nowadays for Christian young people, Christian young adults. In their minds, they think, I mean, I know the Bible says, you know, not to have sex out of wedlock, but this is a new generation. This is a new age. God just doesn't understand. I mean, I don't understand why. I mean, young people, you know, we need physical touch. It's just natural. It's just normal. I don't think, matter of fact, I, one, of my, one of my buddies said to me, one of my, my Christian buddies, my seminary buddies, he said to me, we were not created to be virgins until we're in our early 20s. That's, that's not our design. I'm just honoring my, the, the God-given design. You mean your desires. You're using your desires as a means of critiquing God's word. This is the question. Is there any place in your life where you look at the clear teaching of scripture and go, I know it says that, but uh, I'm not sure about that one. One brother was as bold to say to me, I know the Bible says that, but on that point, I don't agree with the Bible. And that's why you are susceptible to deception. Because there's some area in your life where you made a decision. I know God says this. But in this area, I think I'm old enough to make a decision for myself. And I don't understand why. I've talked to a lot of brothers who didn't understand why God calls us to abstain sexually before we get married. And then they understood it after they got married. They understood it years into their marriage where they'd be making love to their wives and couldn't get the image of another woman out of their head. That's one thing I thank God that I've only got one image of one woman in my head. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Maybe it's not even about sexuality. Maybe it's about drunkenness. Smoking a little weed. Maybe it's about tithing. Maybe just a little bit of gossip is okay. Just a little bit, a little bit of lying or a little bit of cheating. Don't get me wrong. This is not a message about moral perfection. It's not even a message about sanctification. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not about holier than thou, more righteous than thou. It's about when you do fall short, does your heart grieve and return to the Lord and confess, Father, I've sinned against you. Do you cry out for a repentance and confession and ask him to make you clean? Or do you justify it? 
and say, you know what, I'm grown. Not realizing that that attitude means that you're still a child. Because one of the marks of the mature is being able to recognize the wisdom of the elders. I knew I was becoming mature when I could look back on the things my parents spoke to me when I was young and go, ah, now I get it. But did you know that you can be wise even before you're mature? Because the Bible says, rebuke a wise man and he'll love you. Wisdom is simply the ability to tolerate sound doctrine. To eat your spiritual vegetables. You see, the body of Christ is just living on spiritual ice cream. Just go to church and I'm just going to preach some spiritual ice cream to you. And spiritual ice cream tends to take the form of God's got blessing for you. And the, the, the enemy's been defeated. And there's some folks you need to write out of your lives because they're no good for you. And then God's got more blessing for you. Now let's pray and take the offering so you can give a blessing to me. Sometimes you need a shot. Sometimes you need an antibiotic. What the word of the Lord is supposed to do is expose our rebellion so that we can repent and come into the truth. And this is what I love. The reason I love meditating on scripture is because I cannot, I love to even meditate on scriptures that I think I agree with. Because if I meditate on it long enough, I realize I don't. The spirit of God reveals my rebellion so that I can come into the truth. If you have not learned to sit with the word of God long enough for it to cut you, then you don't know what it's like for the word of God to heal you. And if you have not sat with the word of God long enough for it to put you to death, then you do not know what it's like for it to make you alive. We're going to cure this device of deception. We're going to become deception proof. How do you become deception proof? Take your medicine every day. I'm going to the word of God, not just for the ice cream. I'm going for the medicine. Where's the needle? Bring it on. Bring on the needle, God. I'm going to sit it. You got to give me my flu shot. Give me my spiritual flu shot. Whatever the medicine is, I'm ready to take it. Confront me, God. Show me where my believing is not correct. Show me where my life is not in agreement with your word. The humility to say, make, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me and cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's taking your medicine. That's how you deception-proof your life. Repentance. Repentance. Because one of the marks of the idiot church is a complete disregard for personal repentance. A complete unwillingness to personally repent. We should do it every day. Every time we come to the word of God, there's something to repent for. 
Because I don't know that my heart is like a sheep that's gone astray. And the word of God brings me back to the shepherd and overseer of my soul. That's how you deception proof your life. Amen. Let's pray. Bow your head. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you're in this place. We thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would strengthen and encourage each and every one of us. Lord, I know I don't like getting shots and I don't like bad tasting medicines. Sometimes I have to muster up the courage to go to the doctor when I know that a shot is coming and I'm 47 years old. But God, I pray that you would give us the courage to make a decision and I pray that you would expose in every heart the areas of rebellion where I think I know better than you. The areas of unbelief where I've simply rejected the counsel of the Lord just in this little area of my life. Father, I pray that the enemy's device would be nullified because we've come into the truth. We've made the decision to buy the truth and sell it not. So, Father, I speak your blessing over this body, and I give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.